Hello and welcome to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. One of us is a film critic, one is a casual moviegoer, and the third person is yours truly. I'm your host, John Negroni, from the internet, California, on the show today. We have from the internet, Pennsylvania, he's our film critic, and he's also a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. It's Will Ashton. Hey there. From the broadband basement, he is our sound producer and casual moviegoer beyond any hope of snobbery. It is Soundmaster Maverick Hines. Hello. Gentlemen, this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the most serious filmed, gritty, down-to-earth, no pop whatsoever, and that's Ralph Breaks the Internet, um, the latest animated Disney film. Uh, that's going to be a fun conversation. But later in the show, we're going to be talking about Green Book, The Christmas Chronicles, Robin Hood, and a little surprise Netflix original film. So packed episode this week. I'm excited to get started. First off, we should say we did a special little Thanksgiving episode that you should have seen in your podcast feeds on Thursday. We talked about The Hateful Eight with special guest Sam Nolan. Will Ashton, how did that conversation go? Should our listeners check it out? I think it turned out pretty well. I haven't gotten a chance to listen back to it, but I remember having fun talking about that movie. And I hope listeners have fun listening to the episode as well. Yeah, when I I have to say that's one of the rare episodes where I barely I don't think I edited a thing. I think it was just oh, really? an entire conversation, no oh, cuts. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a good conversation. There was a good, good flow. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, before we get into our featured review this week, a uh, couple of off topics, including that one. Definitely check out our Hateful Eight last call. Uh, it was about a fifty minute conversation with special guest Sam Noland. We talked about Tarantino's The Hateful Eight from a couple of weeks ago or years ago. And uh, that was a special patron-requested film. Uh, if you want to request a film for us to review for a last call, uh, become a patron. If you're already a patron, please let us know if you recommend or want us to talk about any films, and uh, we'd be happy to look into that. Uh, otherwise, we have some other off-topics going on. So first off, quick reminder, we are now partnering with Adam Tickets. Adam Tickets is an awesome movie ticketing website you can access on your smartphone or on your desktop computer. You can buy movie tickets, get awesome rewards, you can do all kinds of fun stuff, and you can find episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com right now. So go to adamtickets.com and check out Adam Insider. That's their movie news portion of the website. And you can find our full episodes if uh, you prefer to, to uh, follow Cinemaholics that way. Um, we're really excited to be partnering with Adam. They're awesome. And I highly recommend you guys go check out that app because it is definitely worth it. Uh, I used Adam Tickets today to watch Robin Hood. And uh, it's definitely one of those experiences where um, I was really happy that I had the AMCA list attached to it because I was able to get those tickets for free. But that said, uh, there's a really cool thing. If you have Adam tickets or if you want to get it and you are also an Amazon prime subscriber. Uh, so if you have Amazon prime and a lot of people listening might have that account, especially if you watch Amazon films and everything like that, there's a special, uh, exclusive thing going on where you can get tickets to Aquaman uh, about a week early, I think. On December 15th, you can get special screening tickets. Um, you just have to um, go to Adam Tickets and then uh, do the promotional thing. And then it'll ask you if you're an Amazon person, prove that you have Amazon Prime. And I got a couple of tickets for that screening, and it's uh, a little bit before the movie comes out. So it's a nice little, hey, thanks for using Adam Tickets, and go check that out. Uh, yeah. d- definitely a nice little opportunity to see that movie early. Isn't didn't they move up the release day as well? It's like December twenty first or something like that. I forget. I forget exactly. I know um, on IMDb it says it's coming out the same weekend as Bumblebee, and I think something else of note. Well, yeah, yeah. So Bumblebee is coming out the twenty first, um, along with Aquaman, Holmes and Watson, and Welcome to Marwin. So it's and second act. Obviously, you don't want to leave that out. Oh yeah, you can't um, leave that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, these these tickets would be coming out. 
you'd be able to see uh, Aquaman December 15th. Uh, that's the same weekend as Mortal Engines, uh, The Mule, the new um, Clint Eastwood film, and the new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated ones. Yeah. So, um, which one are we talking about that week? Oh, uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. right. Let's let's save that for a future future Fair discussion enough, yeah. when the crisis actually hits us because it's going to be a that's going to be tough. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. At the yeah. end of December. Stick around toward the end of this episode because we're going to have a conversation about what we're going to review next week because that's an even tougher. <laughs> we're going to need all of our need all the help from our patrons on need Patreon. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get into it, gentlemen. Let's talk about Ralph breaks the internet. This is a new wide release from Disney. Is the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. Um, and until very recently, this was actually called Ralph Breaks the Internet, colon, Wreck-It Ralph 2. In fact, if you go to my review of the film, this is how recent it was. Uh, I reviewed the film on Monday, and I put that in the review, and now it's wrong, because they, they dropped the Wreck-It Ralph 2. I wonder why. Um, it's definitely a lot cleaner now. Um, but yeah, this one is directed by uh, animation filmmakers Rich Moore and Phil Johnston. They worked on the first Wreck-It Ralph. Um, Phil Johnston also co-wrote Zootopia. Rich Moore uh, directed Zootopia. So these guys have been making a lot of movies together. Uh, and uh, the screenplay, again, is from Phil Johnston, along with Pamela Ribbon and Jim Reardon. Now, if you like the first record, Ralph, you know this voice cast already. John C. Riley reprises his role as Ralph, the uh, the video game. I got a racket, you know, bad guy who just wants to be, you know, like a bad guy, but also a good guy in his arcade game where he's always the villain. Uh, so we went through all of that in 2012 when that movie first came out. And uh, he met and became best friends with Vanellope, who is the video game Disney princess uh, voiced by Sarah Silverman. And in this new movie, they go into the internet together and wreak all sorts of havoc. Well, I guess uh, Ralph does that, uh, essentially. Uh, the cast also includes Taraji P. Henson, Kelly McDonald, who, real quick interjection, I saw Puzzle today, finally saw Puzzle, which I've been meaning to see since the summer. Kelly you McDonald. I'm not going. No, I'm not. I just want to say that I, I really enjoyed Puzzle and I really enjoyed oh, nice. Kelly McDonald as a performer. And uh, I, I love her. I love her work. And uh, yeah, did a good job in this film as well. And uh, nice. also in this movie, Kristen Bell, Mandy Moore, Alan Tudyk, Jane Lynch, Idea Menzel, Jack McBrayer, Jody Benson, and Gal Gadot. And if you're thinking to yourself, whoa, those are some Disney princess voice actresses. That's because this, this film has an entire, let's stop the movie for a moment and see how, see, gauge the appetite, if it were, for a Disney princess spinoff. Either it be a short or a full-blown movie um, and I'm going to do the same thing in this review where we take a little side hustle. Will Ashton, mm-hmm. Disney princesses, is it going to happen? Are we going to get this movie? Wait, what? Are we going to get a movie <laughs> where it's the Disney princesses teaming up? Uh, I don't know, I guess. You'd know better than I would. I, that, that's why I'm like, I think that's what this movie, it almost feels like a prologue for that. or Like, like almost a preview? Like a, yeah, like, hey, we might do something like this. Like and, a feeler maybe? Like, hey, do you guys want this? Yeah. I can only imagine, though, the money that that film would make. And all they have to do is get together a bunch of voice actresses who love working with Disney already. So I don't see the problem. I mean, we already got cinematic universes and crossovers galore from Disney. So seems like the next step. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Okay. Well, Will Ashton, uh, lead us into your thoughts of Ralph Breaks the Internet. What what did you think of the sequel? And uh, also, what do you think of Wreck-It Ralph? I know we've talked about it before, but uh, refresh the listeners on your take on that film as well, please. Yeah, um, I like Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I I rewatched it for the first time since I saw it in theaters uh, earlier this week, and I think it holds up. I 
I think some of my problems with the film still persist. I think that the uh, second act kind of sags a little bit in comparison to the first and the third. I think there are like maybe a few too many candy puns in that film for its own good. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I feel it's kind of a letdown that they introduce all these different video game worlds and then they only focus on three. And that's not so much a problem in this one. But uh, I just remember that was kind of a letdown. It, it still was a little disappointing, but I think I grew to like the characters more the second time I watched Wreck-It Ralph. So that wasn't as much of an issue. But yeah, I still think it holds up really well. I enjoy it. It's not. I don't think it's like top tier Disney, but I definitely think it's it's a solid film. And as for its sequel, um, I think it's fine. I like. I kind of like it, but I also I think kind of hate it because um, it just felt like, hey, uh, you know what's cool? eBay. eBay can get you all these great products. <laughs> And you can buy them at your own convenience, just audit or uh, auction them and everything. And hey, while you're at it, um, why don't you get that Snapchat filter? We'll get that up going. And uh, yeah, just uh, you know, share that Wreck-It Ralph filter. And um, all right, don't don't forget to go on to Twitter. And uh, I don't know, it just felt like all these brands. And I mean, that was my issue going in the trailer. Focus online. It's not as much of an issue in the film, but it definitely felt like brand overload at times. It's just like is. Are you selling to me? It's like an emoji movie thing. It's like, are you selling to me or are you telling a story? And I don't know. I, that, that bothered me for a little bit. But as I think the ultimate message of the film came clear in what the film was trying to say, I think it works. I think the second half of the film really redeems the first half. And some of the uneven clunkiness I felt was kind of uh, persisting in that part of the film. But overall, I'm seeing quite a few people saying that they like this movie more than the original. And I'm not quite seeing why. But I did. I like to find yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for Maverick, but this is going to be a very weird episode because I think all three of us are contrarian to the popular opinion on this one, which I guess doesn't happen too often. What is the popular opinion on this I, one? I think the, the critical consensus for this is really high. Most critics are really loving it. Most people that I know who I follow in film really enjoy this one. If, the, if they're not saying that this is better than the first, they're saying that they still really thoroughly enjoyed it and appreciate a lot of things about it. And I might be a little bit more negative than you will, honestly. Uh, oh, really? My my biggest my big issue with this film is uh, I agree with you 100 percent on the first half of it, where it does sort of just feel like I, I don't dislike the story necessarily. I like I like what they're trying to do here with Ralph and Vanellope and a, a story about codependency and a story about best friends drifting apart. I think that's all a really solid blueprint for a film. I just don't think it ever connects it with this idea of what the internet is and what it's like to live online these days, especially yep. because like it doesn't teach you anything about these things. I, I don't think it would even teach kids anything new. It really is just sort of pointing out and observing hey, the internet is a place, the comment section is really heartbreaking, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, we know. And I don't think it really follows through anything deeper than that. And yeah, so I've seen a lot of takes that say like, wow, this is a really deep and profound and timely movie. I'm like, well, I mean, not really, in my opinion. So you were going to say? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it feels kind of dated already. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's going to feel way more dated in like a year or two. Yeah, I'd give and it more slack if it was funnier. And I guess it just right. didn't hit my funny bone as deeply. And maybe that's one of the disconnects, but, um, I do want to hear subjective, I guess. Yeah. yeah I, I do want to hear from Maverick Hines. You saw this more recently than us. So it's more fresh. Yeah. Um, did you see the first record? Ralph? No, no, I, I never saw the first one. <laughs> Surprise there. Right. I know everyone's freaking shocked. Uh, animated films they're not like your back they're not and i was gonna say that like this is gonna be another week where people are gonna be like oh here comes maverick whining about a movie again <laughs> for no reason i think people um, love it 
They just don't want to admit it. But yeah, so I, I, uh, they love a bad boy. <laughs> I don't. Are you the Wreck It Ralph of this podcast? I don't like where. I don't like the way I feel right now. <laughs> hey, right, well, Maverick, let's move review, on. <laughs> review this movie, Maverick. <laughs> I'm gonna wreck it. Uh, uh wow. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I didn't like the movie like at all. Um, I, it just, it's, and I have to caveat it because, you know, I feel like I say the same thing every week, but like, it's just not my kind of movie. It's really, really not like, I'm not an animated guy. I'm not, you know, a cute, I think you're pretty animated. Thanks man. (laughs) Um, but like on top of that, I don't know. I just felt like this movie was nothing. Like it just, it felt like nothing to me. I walked out and I was like, yep. I was in a theater for an hour and 57 minutes and that's that's what I'm taking away from this. Did you laugh once? I don't think I did. Mm. Um, oh, you know what? The one time I did laugh was the uh, she's from a different studio joke. Mm. I thought that I was that, kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was so distracted by moms clapping at jokes and children screaming and kicking my seats that I was like, <laughs> "I this is not, I shouldn't be here. Like, I wish you had seen it with me because it was almost an empty theater and it's kind of much easier. Well, I, th- I thought I would get away from it today because it's, like, it's Black Friday. Everyone's going to be out oh, shopping. Like, it's raining in the Bay Area for the first time in the, in the last like 12 months. So yeah. everybody went to the theater today. Yeah, I, I, I miscalculated greatly. Anyway, back to my review of the movie. Um, it, I, like I said, it just it had zero impact on me. I, I just didn't really care about it. The story was like, it felt, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. It felt fake. Like it felt disingenuous a little bit where it's like, oh, friends and Facebook. Bye. You didn't even see the first movie and this really is just Ralph kind of relearning the same lessons, which is int- kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I guess I don't even have that, you know, context to carry with me as I'm seeing it, but it just, I don't know. I, nothing really clicked for me. The, you know, the one scene I really enjoyed was like a car race, which I thought was actually kind of fun for a minute. But like, other than that joke in that moment for me, like I, I was just like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wish I had more analytical, great reasoning to tell you guys, but I just don't. Other than that, this, this movie is just not my brand of movie. And I didn't feel like, you know, and I, I'm not saying that I hate animated movies, right? Like I really enjoyed Coco and Moana. Like I, you know, I really enjoyed those movies and they had a lot of impact, but yeah. for me to and go in, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say you're a big fan of the BoJack Horseman on Netflix. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not really like a you're, Disney. You're, you're thinking more like animated. Yeah. Not animated in general. Com- I should, like I guess I should clarify. Animated. Yeah. But like the Disney animated yeah. stuff, you know, oh, okay. Like, fair that, enough. My that, yeah. I, I guess I should clarify. That's a good thing to point out, but, um, Shrek yeah. and DreamWorks too. I mean, We've talked about that before. Yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's not my world and that, and that's okay. You know, and I'm trying to like think unbiasedly about the movie and not try to hold it against it because it was animated. But if I can watch a movie like Moana or, or Coco or, you know, Finding Nemo for that sake and be like, wow, you know, I really enjoyed that and want to watch it again and then see something like this. And I was like, I, I don't care. Yeah. You can't really excuse you, you can't, you can't give it like a pass just based on. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, and I tried not to be maverick about it you know in the theater and be like man this is stupid no one's dying you know stuff like that but (laughs) it just you know it didn't do it for me nothing really carried it through the story was really boring to me i just like for a two-hour movie it did feel kind of long to me at times but that's just that's probably where my like i don't care about this genre comes in (laughs) (laughs) so um so yeah i don't i don't have a lot of fun to say unfortunately yeah, a lot of negativity between the three of us, but I know a lot of people are really enjoying it, so I feel a little bit bad. I know, I think your wife said that she liked it, she had fun. Yeah, I'm sure she did. Yeah, yeah, she had a good time. Good for I, her. I, I know plenty of people who are really championing this film, just, uh, this is like a weird, random 
situation where I guess it just didn't work for us. And I should say, like, I I, mean, I like the original Wreck-It Ralph way more than you did, Will. I, I think Wreck-It Ralph, in my opinion, is top tier Disney, at least in the computer animated. I put it up there with Zootopia and Moana as just some of the best that Disney's done in the last decade. I mean, I, I also really enjoyed Tangled and, you know, I, I'm not exactly like a Walt Disney Animation Studio hater, obviously. Like, I think... In, in fact, I was thinking about it, and this might be, in my opinion, the weakest computer animated film that they've done since like Chicken Little, maybe. Because I, I, I would maybe put it more up with like Meet the Robinsons, and I know you're a fan of Bolt, but um, I, am. I, I, I think like Bolt. I think this is like Bolt level. Uh, but no, you were going to say hmm. before. I mean, I don't want to portray the wrong message. I did like the film. I just don't think I was like blown away by it. I just found it kind of average hmm. in a way that I was expecting to be better than average. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about things we did like. Uh, I do think this this movie kind of reminded me of Zootopia in the sense that the second half started to turn around for me a little bit uh, once it veered away from like Ralph is going viral, uh, all that stuff, which I've, I've talked about on the show before. It, it's one of my least favorite plot Ugh. devices ever because it just yeah. it's always used as a sort of like getting attention without deserving it being used as a plot device to propel a really weak plot forward. And this is absolutely that, that kind of movie. And the weirdest thing about Ralph breaks the internet is that it reminded me of assassination nation. Weirdly enough. Oh yeah. Because assassination nation, it kind of takes the similar idea of like social media isolation and instant fame turned awry. And that movie did it so perfectly. And it was like, I thought on balance, the right cynical, whereas this one kind of jokes about it and makes light about it in a way that rang false for me, maybe because I, you know, I just didn't look at it through the right lens or something. But uh, yeah, I think well, that, I think that's what it is for me. I think it's just Disney in general, isn't really the company to be making this kind of message. I mean, I applaud them for saying something different, but I don't know if they're really the company that can tell the story with full justice if that makes sense i mean they do have an entire section where they go to disney's own news website. yeah <laughs> that that felt so forced to me the whole i mean i i enjoyed the princess scene fine but it just felt like they they thought of the idea and then had to work around it to fit into the story instead of it coming organically right and, right i mean i i did wonder though because like there is a stan lee cameo in the film which is a little heartbreaking. It, it it seemed like he probably said something, but they cut it out maybe because it would have been too sad. Maybe. I don't, I, I didn't get that impression, but entirely possible. Well, cause I, I remember hearing that he had an actual cameo in the film, mm-hmm. like, like a voice cameo. And I don't think his character says anything, right? It just, his head turns. Yeah, he doesn't. It's just like his face. So I'm wondering if he had like a watch it kid Excelsior thing. <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's very uh, sad. Um, yeah, so I guess we can talk <laughs> about some of the other characters in this and they really get into like what I think, I, I think Spamly, the, the pop-up ad salesman, uh, voiced by Bill Ader, I, I kind of was thinking oh, to myself really? that was, at that point, uh, I, I was I thinking did. at that point, I was like, why not just make him the lead character? I, I sort of got into my head of like, okay, Disney, make a movie about the internet, but you don't have to force these video game characters into it doesn't have to be Ralph and Vanellope. Like, why couldn't we follow the adventures of a really, you know, down and out pop-up ad salesman who's trying to like become relevant. Like to me, that's like a stronger idea for a story, but that just kind of went through my head. And what did you all think of 
Taraji P. Henson's character, yes, with like four S's. Uh, she was like the embodiment of like a YouTube algorithm. It didn't make sense at all to me. Like, yeah. what, what was that? Yeah. I, I don't know. I just. I mean, I, don't know. I thought she did a good job. Like, the voice acting was good. Well, yeah. Uh, that was fine. Obviously. Yeah, nothing of the voice actress. I think it was just the way it was written. I, I kind of was like waiting for a turn of like, is she the villain? You know, is she just yeah. kind of helping out these characters because why not? And it, it just sort of was like, what's the use here? And it, yeah, it, it, there was something about it that felt missing to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. And Gal Gadot's character as well. She plays Shank, um, this like basically Vanellope's girl crush. And you kind of wait for something to happen with her character, too, that goes somewhere. But again, not really. It just shows kind of just shows up, talks to Vanellope a little bit, and then that's it and become, you know, it's it just, you know, it, it just sort of feels like a lot of like loose threads. Like people said, Widows felt like it ended, you know, without wrapping things up. And I, I think this movie does that way more, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, the central focus of the film is on the relationship between uh, what's Sarah Silverman's character? Vanellope. Uh, Vanellope. Vanellope and Ralph. And I, I once the film becomes clear as far as what it's saying about their relationship, I cut a little bit of slack for the loose threads. But yeah, I mean, as far as being a, a full, complete story, that, that does leave you a little longing. But as far as the new characters, I did really enjoy um, Nosemore, like the Google uh, oh, yeah, type Alan character. Tudyk. Yeah, yeah. I like I like that one a lot. I, I kind of wish Nosemore was in the movie more. Uh, no pun there, I guess, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that character. Yeah. I was, I was sad. we also didn't get as much Jane Lynch and Jack McBrayer this time around. Yeah. They were really kind of thrown in like an afterthought. Yeah. They get completely cut out from the whole story, uh, which I thought was pretty unfortunate, mm-hmm. but, uh, okay. I mean, that's all I really have to say about this one. I guess we can get into final thoughts. Uh, for me, I, I think that it's, it's fine. It's like a, a decent family animated film. It's not something that I would tell people to stay away from if they have any interest in it. I, I just think if you, if the first record off didn't work for you, or if you have kind of an aversion to Disney animated films and kind of this idea of like exploring the internet, like that, like this sort of feel, I, I think that you're just not going to get much out of this, but I don't think that there are that many people out there along those lines. I, I think most people who are going to go see this are going to have a decent time, maybe forget about it eventually and move on. And I think it's ultimately harmless, uh, so I, I've been kind of going between a C plus and a B minus. I'm really C plus at this point. Uh, I can't really justify like a B minus because I just don't think there's anything here that's all that special, even though, you know, the effort is there. I, I think that it's, it, it is a movie that's made with a real heart to it in terms of like the work that went into it to make this internet world come alive. And there, there are some inspired gags. I think that the post credit scene is hilarious. Uh, if you do see this movie, you should stay to the end for it. It's worth it. I didn't. Whoops. Yeah. It's it. I'll tell, I'll tell you after the fact, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty decent. Um, and I don't think, I don't think most people have a miserable time. So uh, C plus for me, uh, what about you, Maverick? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right in line with you, man. Uh, like I said before, it's just, you know, this wasn't for me, but I do see, you know, a value for, I think people who are, it serves its purpose basically. Right. Like I think what it sets out to do. Maybe. Yeah. You're going out for a movie to take your kids to or whatever, or, you know, a young person, whatever. That was, 
I don't. I'm panicking now. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, structure. Walk that one back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and this is my last episode of Cinema Holics where the <laughs> FBI takes. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, record from uh, the prison cells. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, poor Maverick. I, we apologize. I mean, we, we keep putting you in the hot seat. We apologize to all Maverick fans of the show. Oh man. Yeah, all one of you. Um, yeah, it's a C plus for me too. I'm gonna stop talking now. <laughs> uh, and Will Ashton. Yeah, I did not expect to be the most positive of the three of us, but yeah, I, I, I'm a closer to a B minus on this one. It's a soft recommendation for me, but I still ultimately enjoyed it. I found the uh, uh, main emotional scene in the film to be kind of affecting, and there's just there are a couple gags in the film I liked. I, I kind of enjoyed the avatars for um, the people on the internet. They kind of look, look like the Wii avatars. Oh, yeah, I just love how dumb yeah. and like and weird looking they are. I just they they always crack me up whenever they're just like excited and running around. Uh, I don't know. There's stuff in here I liked, um, but overall, yeah, it just feels a little disorganized and felt like they had a lot more ideas as far as what they could do for a sequel, but not enough focus to figure out what would be the best way to approach a story. And that's a shame because I I like, do really like the first Wrecked Ralph, and um, yeah, it's just kind of a, an average film, but. Uh, if if you see it with your family, you'll probably enjoy it. There's some good laughs, and uh, I guess pave your own way and see if you like it. But I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. All right, and I was gonna say one of the gags that I did really enjoy was the long armed character who hangs out with Spamley. That is good. He was. Uh, oh, I was gonna mention. Did Spamley look a lot like Jimmy Neutron's dad to you guys? Totally. Not even a little. What? Totally. What? what? I thought he reminded me a little bit more of Fear from Inside Out, but uh, maybe I'm yeah, just... I guess, well, it was like a mix between Fear and uh, Jimmy Neutron's dad. Well, fans, fans of Jimmy Neutron and Fear from Inside Out, you've, this is the movie for you. Um, the spinoff you were hoping for with family is not to be, but uh, yeah, this is a whatever movie. Um, kind of sad to say, it was one of my most anticipated of the fall season. And, yeah, it yeah, kind of fell flat for me, but. Uh, all right, let's get into mini reviews. Unfortunately, none of us saw Creed two. That that was kind of an accident. Um, I apologize. I haven't seen anything in a while. Right. Well, here's. I think it's just the the holidays, right? It's like with Thanksgiving, everything is just tough. Yeah. Right. We we were spending time with friends and family and everything. Um, I did manage to catch Robin Hood, um, kind of off chance, but uh, we're going to be talking about first Green Book. Um, so I, I actually saw this one last week and. You know, I've been kind of dreading this conversation because this is one of those films. It's a, uh, it's directed by one of the Farrelly brothers, Peter Farrelly. Peter, um, yeah. uh, His brother, unfortunately, was dealing with a family tragedy and just was unable slash unwilling to sort of be working at the moment. So Peter did this one on his own. And this is a very different film than the Farrelly's have done in the past. They're very well known for, you know, big comedies, uh, probably most famously Dumb and Dumber. Um, the most recent films haven't quite been a huge success. So it is interesting to see Peter Farrelly uh, going off of a screenplay that, uh, first of all, was written by the son of the main character, one of the main characters, um, Nick Valonga, who is an Italian-American, uh, whose father, Tony Valonga, also known as Tony the Lip, was at one point a driver slash bodyguard for a classical pianist uh, named Don Shirley. You've probably heard of some of Don Shirley's work, a very, very talented performer who went on a tour of the Deep South in the 1960s. Uh, Don Shirley was African-American, so that is where the name of the movie comes in. The name of the movie is Green Book. Uh, and I did not know this going into the film, uh, but there there were these things called Green Books, um, 
where uh, someone in Harlem actually decided that uh, he was going to, I think this he started doing this in the 50s, uh, started to make like a list of restaurants and motels and people's houses that uh, African-Americans could frequent when they were traveling while black uh, was the idea. Because whether you were in the South or the North, I mean, this thing went all the way to Alaska. These green books, they were widely published and they were kind of a, they were a lifesaver. They, they were a tool for moving about this country um, for African-Americans that really prevented them from getting into some serious trouble, uh, in many cases, protecting their lives. Uh, one of the issues with this film, I would say, actually, is that it creates a much, a kind of a dishonest distinction between the Deep South and the North, because really the differences in 1962, which is when this film takes place, the big differences between the South and the North were like both areas were heavily segregated, but in the South, it was legally segregated. This was the area of Jim Crow laws. Uh, and it, there's even a moment in the film where they they sort of like sigh relief because they go up into the North, which rang extremely false to me. And as I did more research into this film, I found that a lot of Green Book is historically dishonest in a way that I think seriously detriments it and makes it very difficult for me to even recommend this one. Uh, this is one of those feel-good race relations films about two guys who become friends who are very different from each other. Don Shirley is... Um, he's an African American artist, uh, who, you know, he likes the finer things in life and his frustrations come from the fact that he performs in these grand hotels, but he's not even allowed to use the restroom there, let alone eat in these ballrooms, let alone, uh, sleep in these rooms. He has to use this green book, although he's never at one point referencing the green book, green book. It's always used by Tony's character. Uh, and I should say, uh, Tony is played by Vigo Mortensen. Uh, I think the last film I remember seeing him in, him in was uh, Captain Fantastic, uh, and he was fantastic in that film, I thought. I thought that was a very good movie. Uh, and then Mahershala Ali, who is in a bit of a career streak at the moment, uh, he is the only reason, I think, that someone should seek out this film, because his performance here is it's absolutely enchanting. He plays a very closed-up, um, kind of world-weary, but also, you know impossibly isolated yet curious character that is so difficult to put your finger on who he is. The problem here is of course the writing. Um, as I was looking into this, the many of the details brought up about Don Shirley's life in green book are not just false. They're, they're egregiously false. Uh, he's completely mischaracterized. Uh, his family has, uh, outspokenly decried this film as making a mockery of who Don Shirley really was. Don Shirley passed away a few years ago, within months of Tony the Lip. And it's very difficult because I think a lot of people are going to watch Green Book and they're going to get sucked into a movie about two guys becoming friends. Um, Tony is an Italian-American who is very racist, uh, but this is a film about a racist man learning to be better and learning to sort of uh, not just treat African-Americans better, but, you know, to, to be less of a bad person in general. Uh, Tony the Lip is actually an actor. He was in, he, he was uh, one of the characters in Goodfellas. He was in Sopranos, uh, which kind of is, leads into his son um, writing the screenplay here. And at every moment of this film, you can really feel the fact that this is 100% from Viggo Mortensen's character's perspective. You're, this is really Tony's story. And unfortunately, Don Shirley is sort of just a plot device for him to become a better person. And it, it, it just is such a shame because that is not the kind of film 
that's relevant to 2018, I think. I think that if this film had come out a couple of decades ago, even a decade ago, because the, I think a lot of people have rightly referenced this as this year's The Help, uh, it really is that sort of film. Um, some people have gone as far to say that this is a white savior film. I wouldn't go that far because it's not even that Tony the Lip is trying to save anyone. There are moments in here where he's educating Don Shirley about African-American culture because for spoilery reasons, um, Don Shirley in this film portrayed as has never really connected with the black community. Again, this is one of those egregiously false um, ideas presented by the film. And you would almost forgive somebody for having a good time with Green Book, which is just an unfortunately bad movie that is made pretty well because it has Mahersha Ali, who also, I believe he produced this film along with Octavia Spencer. Um, I want to say, I, I hope I'm correct about that. But uh, they, they signed off on this film and, and they, they look at this film as something that apparently was something that they wanted, that, that they thought would be useful to audiences. And the, to me, this is the kind of movie that is useful to people who are deeply racist, who want to watch a movie that makes them feel like things used to be worse. So that means things are good right now. And kind of the message of this movie is that you just, to, to cure racism, you have to change people's hearts. Now, I am a firm believer in that being complete and utter BS. Um, I think that some hearts will not change on things like racism. I think that in these days, I think that is clearer than ever. The only thing that cures racism is the laws and, uh, you know, systemic racism being stomped out, you know, by politicians and by the people uh, advocating and championing for those rights and not waiting around for people like Tony the Lip to be slightly less racist. And so I couldn't help but shake that idea through this movie, which is a drama, obviously, but with a lot of funny moments and a lot of like, oh, look at Tony, this racist chap. Uh, when, when is he going to learn? And then not even really scratching the surface of who Don Shirley is. Don Shirley, the, you know, a much more interesting uh, character, I think because the performance is just so much more subtle. I mean, Viggo Mortensen, he's a fine actor, but his performance is over the top. It's, it's garish. It, there, there's no, there's no subtlety to it. There's no nuance. It really is just, he doesn't take any crap from anybody. And he goes throughout this whole movie sort of, you know, he's adaptable to the plot at, at one moment. He's fiercely racist. The other, Oh, he's fine. He's not a bad dude. And then another, he's like, Oh, I'm fine with this thing, which kind of comes out of nowhere. This thing that they discover about Don Shirley. And th this is just one of those films that, for me, it was extremely irritating to get through because there are so many better films being made right now about racism, about you know African-Americans speaking out about their pain um, in ways that also empower them as well. And this movie, to me, it just feels like an excuse. It just feels like a way for, for white audiences to, to go and, and feel good about themselves. And, and instead confronting some really harsh realities. They're confronting, sorry, the harsh realities of the 1960s, which, you know, the, the 1960s, racism wasn't cured out of just the kindness of white people's hearts, Tony the Lip's heart. It was cured because Jim Crow laws went away because the Voting Rights Act happened, the Civil Rights Act happened. And I want that movie, if you're going to go to the 1960s, where you're actually going to address solutions to deep problems that we have right now. I don't want this sort of cookie cutter, let, let's uh, let's show Linda Cardellini sort of being your avatar surrogate of uh, feel good 
um, you know, white liberalism. I, I, I don't want that personally. That's, that's my request. Uh, but I do recognize that a lot of people are going to come to this movie coming out of it feeling good. And, uh, I, I think that that's unfortunate. I think this is a, a bad movie with some in, incredible performances. Uh, Mahershala Ali, this is one of his best. Uh, it really like that is one of the most frustrating films to watch because you, you can't help but feel like what he's doing here is so above the artistic merit of what else is being presented. Uh, so yeah, uh, for me, I'm a between a C minus and a C, uh, I I'm leaning more towards C minus, but I'm going to give it a C at the moment. Um, it really is one of those things, like the more I learn about this film and, and what it betrays the the more I just really tell people don't bother with it. Uh, it's not worth your time. Hmm. That's disappointing to hear. I was afraid that was going to be the case for this film. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I'm, I guess I'm not alone. I, I have a review from a, a friend of the show, Maya Abdul Baki. She's been on a few times. Uh, she's kind of there with me. She gave this one a five out of ten, uh, which is about where I'm at as well. And in her review, she said Green Book's perspective is skewed to favor Viggo Mortensen over Mahershala Ali. Um, also, not a fan of this movie, but I know that a lot of people do like it. So um, I'm not in the, you know, majority of critics on this one. It's got like I think it's. Rotten Tomatoes is like in the 80%, something like that. Uh, that was oh, actually higher. Oh, actually, I have it right here. It's 82% at the moment. Average rating of 7.9 out of 10. Um, so I, I think a lot of people are giving this one a pass because of Mahershala Ali's performance, and I do think that it's probably going to get some Oscar attention. But uh, I, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because you want to you wanna celebrate a great performance from you know an actor who's really on the rise here, but... Yeah, what I'm sort of like on the what cost kind of scale. So that's Green Book, and uh, are you still going to check this one out, Will Ashton? I kind of want to talk to you about it. So I would. Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling it's probably going to get nominated for Best Picture. Not to say that it should, but I'm guessing that's going to. It just seems like the type of film, like the safe, yeah, uh, good-hearted type of film that gets in, even though it's not really the best or the film that's most widely appreciated. Just like that kind of safe middling type of film that sneaks in. But I'll probably see it because of that. But it's not like I'm wildly enthusiastic to see it. It looks exactly what I was afraid I was going to be. Right. So. I think it's worth joining the conversation. Um, sure. That's the main reason why I wanted to check it out. All right. But, Will, you have a movie that, uh, according to Maverick Hines, I can't stop talking about. Um, the Christmas <laughs> Chronicles. It's true. Uh, I keep yeah. asking when we're going to watch it. But uh, what is this one? What's it about? It's the new Netflix film. I, I guess Netflix is kind of, among other things, they've carved this kind of Christmas niche. I've noticed in the past couple of years they've been they've been producing more and more Christmas related stuff. Probably because around this time of the year, people it, the weather's getting colder and you know, yeah. people kind of just want to bundle up and watch something seasonal and festive. And they're putting they're putting a lot of like the Hallmark films, Lifetime right. films, and then they're making yeah. their own now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm sure they're going to have a couple coming out this year in addition to this one. In addition to this one, because I think is there one with uh, Vanessa Hudgens coming out pretty soon? Like she plays yeah, two roles. I think it already like, came out. The Christmas like, Wedding Planners Checklist Princess, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So the Christmas Chronicles is probably best known and sold as the Christmas film where Kurt Russell plays Santa Claus. <laughs> I, that's like at the forefront of the poster, all the marketing stuff. Like that. That's the main reason to see it. Because, like, his performance is fantastic. I think he is having so much fun with this role. He's really relishing the part. His portrayal of uh, Santa Claus is pretty fun. I, I, I like what they did with it as far as the character is concerned. Um, but as a film, it's, you know, it's kind of the typical kind of by the 
by the books, typical Christmas film where everything kind of goes as you expect it to and nothing particularly shocking or surprising. But whenever Kurt Russell's on the screen, it's a lot of fun to watch. I just kind of wish he was in it more because he's not the main character. It's like this brother and sister duo who their their, their father died in the fire or something, doing something heroic. And they're all sad and they they can't bond. They're dysfunctional and they, they have to learn to appreciate each other again through the magic of santa claus and i wasn't really crazy about that going into it but once kurt russell came into the picture i was enjoying it quite a bit except for one uh noteworthy scene where uh kurt russell's santa claus says uh fake news about being fat and Mm. i immediately shut the film off for about (laughs) uh 24 hours (laughs) and then I, i decided to is this why it's called the Chronicles? Because the first Chronicle is when you get to that point and stop watching. The second Chronicle yeah. <laughs> is the rest of the film. Uh, it was for me, at least. I honestly don't know why it's called the Christmas Chronicles. That was another note I was going to bring up. Is that I? The title makes no sense to me. I don't know. Like, it's I, I, based I know on the book, from what I can tell. Is it? It's not. Oh yeah, it's I don't, based on a screenplay. There are. It, it's one story. There are no chronicles. It's not like a bunch of like. Uh, tales from santa claus's lore it's i don't know it's a new franchise it's a weird side. uh but yeah i mean it's it's it is what it is like i don't think there's a lot you can really say about it it's just kind of a middling harmless type of film where there's a great performance at the center but nothing to really champion beyond that uh, i will say there is a really great cameo towards the end and i i was spoiled about it but it was also the reason why i decided to ultimately put my foot down and see the film I think you can kind of guess who it is, knowing Kurt Russell's uh, life. I've already been and, spoiled. We won't spoil it for yeah. anybody else. Yeah, I was yeah. say I won't give it away, but it was it was a thing that made me go, okay, I'm definitely watching this. <laughs> uh, but it's it's fine. Like I said, I mean, it is what it is. I I can't really fault it for being middling, but uh, I will say it's really weird to watch this movie after the hateful eight. Uh, <laughs> he walks into the house he's like yeah i've got these toys <laughs> anybody yeah. got a problem with that <laughs> yeah uh, man um but yeah other than that um if you think it's gonna be your bag if you just want to see kurt russell's portrayal of uh saint nick i'd say you know it's on netflix you're not gonna pay more if you already have the subscription so check it out if you're interested in that um you can probably fast forward through the parts where he's not in it because you pretty much can pace it through what's going on with his scenes but otherwise yeah i mean i'm probably gonna give it like a c plus it's it's fine like i was mildly amused by it but i don't think i need to see it again or anything but if you do check it out i'm curious to hear what you think john if you like it more than i do or i'm gonna check it out yeah i too Uh, was sold on the very end of it and i really want to watch it because i want to write snl about doing a sketch where they literally do hateful eight but through christmas chronicles Um, that'd be fun it'd be a fun sketch yeah 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 all right. Um, and yeah, the only other thing I knew about this movie was it's from uh, Clay Cadis. Oh, the, yeah. The co-director the, of uh, the Angry, Angry Birds. Birds. Yeah. Wow. What a choice. Um, yeah. The movie where the Angry Birds uh, drink pee in the film. <laughs> I've uh, not seen that movie. I did not know that. That's in the trailers. That was a big selling point for the film. Uh, the whole- I've completely forgotten the trailers then. And I remember having to sit through those trailers dozens of times before that movie I- came out. I will say that that scene in particular has inspired a podcast I have loved of late called The Angry Birds Drink Piss in the Angry Birds movie. <laughs> uh, it's very similar to In Ogre to Ogre where they just each month get together and talk about the scene where they drink piss in the Angry Birds movie. Um, it's highly enjoyable. Wow. Um, I'll say the filmmaker, whatever that guy's name is, uh, since he contributed that to the world and giving us 
Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. He is pretty good in my book, even though his films are not very good. Well, I appreciate your deep cut podcast recommendations. They're always useful. <laughs> I don't um, know if you have to censor that or not, but. All right. We have two films left. Uh, they're both films of mine. I, I apparently had more time than you guys because I, I had a chance to see Robin Hood. Um, but I'm going to be ending mini reviews on a high note. There's a film that I'm going to be talking about afterward that is also a Netflix film that I actually recommend. It's like the only film in this entire episode that one of us is going to be recommending, which is kind of insane, especially considering what the movie is that I'm going to be recommending. We'll get to it. But first, Robin Hood. Um, Robin Hood and the, like, the opening part of the movie, the narrator says... This is no bedtime story. Uh, literally spelling out to you why they made this film. They're like, we, we could be historically accurate, but you'd just be bored. We're just going to do a Robin Hood where it's compl- no pretenses, no... It's not your dad's Robin Hood. <laughs> it's not Men in He's Tights. He's a Bernie bro, right? It's not Ridley Scott's, you know, seriously misguided Russell Crowe picture. This is just this is the real Robin Hood. And right real, it's real mythical. Um mm. it really is operating in a, a world of rules that are kind of insane. And then I think the trailers kind of give away that this really does feel at home with like the uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword film, which we all talked about last year. Oh yeah. Guy Ritchie's our, film. Uh, least popular episode, right? Uh, is it? <laughs> I think that's our least listened to episode is the King uh, Arthur. I'd episode. have to look into it. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it probably is now that I think, I think our most, our least popular episodes are like way earlier than that, but oh, so really? is life. I mean, well, I think because I've looked at it a few times before and like, you know, we didn't do crazy traffic when we first started, but uh, anyway, Robin regardless, um, Taron Edgerton from the Kingsman films from Matthew Vaughn is in this. Uh, this film is, uh, it's directed by Otto Bothurst, um, who I, I think the only thing I know him from is uh, Peaky Blinders. Uh, he's, he's worked on that BBC drama, which I've never seen before. Uh, but he really is sort of channeling Guy Ritchie here. Um, the film was written by Ben Chandler and David James Kelly. And it's, it's sort of modernizing Robin Hood, but it's still set in like a, a distant past, right? Uh, you know, it's very action focused. Uh, you follow... Uh, this Lord, this guy named Lord Huxley or Loxley or something along those lines. And it's, it's sort of the typical Robin Hood story, except he falls in love with this woman who tries to steal this horse. He's a, he's a fabulously rich person and he, uh, he gets in bed with one of the commoners, but before that they can, uh, before they can live happily ever after he gets drafted into military service, gets wounded comes back and uh, sort of like finds himself in uh, th- things have gone to hell since he left. And from there you can sort of see that this is turning into an interesting cross-section between the dark nights, um, literally an entire, an, an entire plot moments from the dark night happen here, which I can't spoil, but like think the ending of dark night. And that's basically what happens in this film to a T where oh, the rich guy comes back after he's presumed dead he takes on a masked persona and he starts to challenge the like systemic corruption of the commoners. And it's, it's a nothing script. It's a character who Taron Egerton gives this character kind of a, kind of a, a charming bravado. You know, he kind of moves from scene to scene sort of haplessly reacting to, you know, increasingly bizarre circumstances. 
And the film's saving grace, what makes this one of those bad movies that's entertaining to watch, is that the action is competent enough and the visuals are wonky and mythological enough that it sort of has like a Gods of Egypt vibe where you can just sort of let it be bad and just let it be its own thing. And you can get through the movie relatively unscathed. You can find yourself, you know, kind of enjoying Jamie Foxx's absurd absurd placement into this film by chance who, you know, he is a a prisoner of war who decides because one act of kindness by someone he was trying to kill a moment ago has decided to devote his entire life to the plight of an English village. Um, despite this not being his home and despite him being mistransplanted. Isn't he little John? He is little John. And it, it is, it is the equivalent of Han Solo being named Han Solo in Solo, a star Wars story that that plays out. I, I kid you not. Um, and I wish I could say more negative things about it because I actually found myself. That was one of the moments where I was kind of enjoying this film for what it is. It is a bad movie. It is a movie where Ben Mendelsohn is speaking of star Wars, carrying over his character from the Gareth Edwards, um, rogue one film. Gareth Evans, excuse me, uh, his kind of like, you know, swarmy, you know, general evil character from that film with the elaborate costumes that, you know, again, nothing in this movie looks like it touched somebody who knows something about history. And it sort of goes all in on that idea and that aesthetic, but it is one of those films that doesn't have its own style to it. That's the unfortunate thing. That's what kind of holds it back from being good, bad, because, when you're watching it, there, there are moments where you're like, okay, you know, if it had a little bit more of an idiosyncratic direction to it, I, I could sort of buy this film sort of being like trashy good, it, you know, where you have something like a, even the worst Baz Luhrmann films. He, he has his own style. He has his own rhythm and tempo that, you know, if you're a fan of his work, you can get sucked into it. Here, there's nothing really to latch onto except everything you already know about Robin hood being completely subverted in the completely wrong direction. Um, you know, because, and this comparison is unavoidable. It really is like the production budget of a CW show. Uh, the plot mechanics do feel exactly like arrow, the, the show where Oliver queen, again, it's ripped off of Batman where he comes back and everyone thought he was dead. And now he shoots arrows at people he deems unworthy. And you know, he, Oh no, the woman that he loved is with somebody else. And it's just, it's it's all of the tropes you've seen before, and you almost wish that there was a, a more specific and unique style to everything besides this sort of like somewhat steampunk, somewhat Guy Ritchie fire is erupting in the background during chain scenes or chase scenes for no reason whatsoever. But it's there to look cool and to be stylish and flashy. It is sort of like a cross-section maybe between Michael Bay, but without actual explosions. I'll give the film this one thing. It it sort of peaked in this very early scene. I mentioned that Robin the Hood, uh, as he's called, uh, okay. he actually go he actually goes to war in Arabia, and they literally filmed this like a Catherine Bigelow war film, where you have these guys in short sleeve mesh armor, all using bow and arrows, acting like a squadron in Iraq. Because it's that same visual aesthetic. And it, again, it's borrowing another director, but it's, it's, I don't know if it's parroting those things because at one point someone is using like a machine gun bow and arrow and you're watching <laughs> it and you're thinking you're, and you're watching these guys get mowed down and using their bows and arrows like their machine guns. And you're wondering to yourself, where's the movie that fully commits to this? Because I want to go see that right now. Um, because those were the moments where I was like, this is the kind of action, bizarro, hyper history 
deal that this could have been and it doesn't go all the way with it. So it's kind of a bummer because then you don't have the other side of that. You don't have the like, I don't know what they were really going for with this. Honestly, I guess it's not men in tights. It's not silly. You know, there's humor that's attempted, but those are the weak moments. The unintentional humor is the only thing that's good in this. And I I guess that's all I really have to say. Um, Moving on from that, Jamie Dornan is in it. And uh, there's only one female character Eve Hewson plays a love interest, and it is one of the. Oh, it is a dude. Bono's daughter. Yeah, yeah, and she's you know not good in this. No one is, but oh really? She's oh. not. She just she just is sleepwalking through this role uh, along with everyone. She's good else. in uh, she's good in the Nick. I've never seen the Nick. Uh, we she's talked very, about this before. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would definitely recommend the show, but she's right. good on it. I, I, you know, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Steven Soderbergh, so it's it's kind of insane that I haven't seen it. But I, I want to see her in more things because I've heard good things about that. And you know, you see, you see, like, you see that these are good actors here. You know, I, I, I don't dissuade, I don't disparage Taron Edgerton. I don't disparage Jamie Foxx or Ben Mendelsohn. Jamie Dornan even is someone who I think, uh, you know. He could have been worse in the Fifty Shades films, right? Um, and he actually was kind of redeemable uh, in Once Upon a Time. He was in it just for a little bit, I think, in like the first season. But uh, are you not a fan? Well, I I felt like those movies were very well. Among other things, they were very dragged down by his somewhat dull performance. Okay, agree to disagree. I I wouldn't blame him necessarily. I, and I don't I, really blame him. I do him. think. Okay, I said among other things. Like I think. <laughs> anyway yeah. robin hood not a great film nice try lions gates it's not uh it's not for me or most people i don't think but uh it's a good effort and i think if you have interest in it you can hate watch it and have uh, as good a time as possible uh and i'm not alone it looks like it's about a 13 percent on rotten tomatoes at the it's moment a hit. it's a hit all right uh and it's not not hitting the box office super well either no no but uh, I don't know. I don't think people are going to walk away from this hating it. I just think people, I think there's a small net of people who are interested in the first place. So that's, I, well, I, have, I do actually have a question. Um, oh, so and, sorry. When, my grade is a C. Oh, I actually thought it was going to be lower than that. Eh, it's like a C, C minus. I don't know. Hmm. It's it's not, a. It, that's the thing is that it's not like offensively bad. It's just, uh, it's just aggressively mediocre, I guess. But yeah, go ahead. That sounds about right. No, I was going to ask. Um, one thing I heard about the film is that it's apparently like fairly socialist minded. Like, it is. It's kind of go. It's trying. I, I mentioned this before, but it seems to be aiming for like the Bernie bros. Uh, it's it's very. Yeah, it's very like rah, rah, revolution. Uh, there are very but, overt political things in it and none yeah. of them feel genuine. None thing? of them feel yeah. important. They all just sort of they're there to, to me to sort of just evoke ideas, not really artistically present them. So yeah, yeah. It, it drags the film down more than anything else. Cause that could be interesting for Robin hood. Like if, yeah. if you're going to tell the story again, I guess it's a way to go, but it does sound like it's very like forced and like, it doesn't feel authentic to what they're doing. It's just something like, Hey, maybe we'll gain an audience. If we do this. Right. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. they, you know, the comparison to like Antifa, for example, has been pretty apt. Um, it's not the worst thing about the film, the way that they do all of it. it. It just sort of is like a, it's not even a missed opportunity because personally the way that they do it, it doesn't feel like they cared all that much. It really just feels like dialogue, not really text. So it's just sort of presented as a way to sort of be like, you know, it, it's just sort of going a little bit farther with the Robin hood 
idea, but in ways that don't really make sense because of some of the way that they like write certain characters to be in certain moments and scenes, even though they're commoners is very awkward and clumsy. And so you, you can't really, it, it feels like such a small world that like none of the revolution stuff feels real or earned. It just sort of feels like it's there because you know, they, they just thought, well, you know, Mask of Zoro was cool, right? When he was pretending to be, he was a lord and he was Zoro at the same time. And okay, well, this this film's not really doing much beyond that, so not very good. Mm. But okay, I want to finish on a high note. Um, Cam. Cam is Cam is a new film from Netflix. It, uh, it premiered at Fantasia International Film Festival this past summer. Uh, Netflix just released it, and it is the only film from this this episode of Cinema Hawks that I that I recommend. Uh, I actually think it's it's quite delightful. Um, it's a uh, horror film. I highly recommend it to you, especially Maverick Hines. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, it's it's a small horror film. It's not it's not dozens of characters. It's not this like sort of hereditary like the supernatural and asking big questions and things like that. It does ask a few big questions, but it follows the story of a girl who she's like in her early twenties and she has found a very profitable living for herself being a cam girl or yeah, I think they're called cam girls where she goes on webcams and, you know, guys tip her to like do, you know, things like for porn basically. Now she doesn't do like explicit things all the time. A lot of it is like, you're sort of seeing like a live chat room where she sort of has this like community of dudes who are watching her. And things kind of go a little bit crazy when in her pursuit of being in the top 50 of the cam girls at this certain website, somebody starts impersonating her. And that's when things start to get bizarre and a little dark. And no matter what she does, she can't seem to figure out who it is that's impersonating her and why. And it, this is one of those dark and disturbing films. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of like sinister where it's just got that like unsettlingness to it where it's not going super big with the story, but it's saying some really uncomfortably resonant things about living your life socially online. I know we've been kind of talking about that with Ralph breaks the internet, but this one, especially like the way that uh, the main character here is played by Madeline Brewer, uh, probably best known for her performances in Orange is the New Black, Hemlock Grove. Uh, she had a role on The Handmaid's Tale. So she's done a lot of these like you know Netflix and Hulu kind of things. And um, I am so excited to see her film career take off with this. I think that this is an extraordinary, extraordinary effort from her because she completely 100% carries this. Uh, a lot of the other actors in here, Laura Walters has a good role in here, um, and Devin Druitt as well. And my... Uh, you know, some good, some good actors, but she really carries it. Uh, she really, she really brings like a vulnerable, but strong persona to this role of a woman whose world is falling apart, honestly. And you sympathize with this woman who, what she's doing for a living, you know, is not something that most people will readily sympathize with, but they do it in a way where you're following her story. She, there are a lot of other things going on in her life, you know, her family life. She has a younger brother. Uh, she, you know, we're in the middle of her career. You know, we're seeing how this has brought her, you know, financial security. It's brought her like, you know, happiness. 
And it's it's a strangely, I don't want to say strangely, actually. It, it is a sex-positive message here. I guess strangely in the sense that movies don't usually present it that way. Usually in these movies about women who do porn or things kind of adjacent to porn, you, you really sort of get this like mixed message of, well, you know, it empowers the woman, um, but also all of these things. Um, here, it's it's going for another avenue that I think is much fresher and much more interesting. And the actual horror elements, which I can't spoil because when they happen, they're far more tantalizing than if I explain them. Uh, they actually feel earned. They feel on the same vibe that this movie is presenting them in. Um, the disturbing nature of what she's doing matches perfectly with what actually happens in the horror genre of it all. So this was a surprise uh, little fave for me. It's not remarkable necessarily. It's not something that I recommend to the hilltops or anything like that, but it is one of those small Netflix films that I hope more people check out. It's uh, it's streaming right now. Um, it was uh, directed by Daniel Goldhaber, who I don't I don't think he's done any films before, uh, but it was written by Issa Mazay, uh, who worked on the story with Goldhaber. This is kind of a personal film for them. Um, Mazay has said that this film draws from her own experience um, being a cam girl. So, and you get that impression. You get that this is being made by people who understand this world. They understand the mechanics and the rules. You know, as somebody who you know, I've never been a cam girl, uh, unfortunately. Um, but you, you get it pretty fairly quickly. And I think, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, like what the deal is like beyond, like, I know a lot of people probably understand like what it is, but like how it really works and like the economy behind it and what these women sort of do behind the scenes, that's all sort of presented in a very matter of fact way that is kind of interesting as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a way to like look into this world and like what's going on, whether or not you feel very offended by those things. I think that if you are offended by this kind of world, you don't want to watch this movie because it's just going to make you angry. Uh, but if you feel a little bit more open-minded of like looking into, this is what a lot of Americans are doing for a living right now. And this movie puts a fun genre twist on it and it makes it kind of a thriller to watch. But beyond that, it also is kind of educating uh, in terms of like these experiences that people are having right now, save for some of the things that happen that I guess don't happen every day as far as I know. So that's Cam. Uh, I give it a B minus, uh, a very happy B minus, and I, I hope more people check it out. Um yeah, Will, it should be on your radar. I think this is kind of up your alley a little bit. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been hearing good things, um, especially on Twitter. So I'm curious to check it out, especially now that it's on Netflix. All right. I don't think I've ever done this many mini-reviews um, by myself before. Yeah, I don't know, I know how I feel. Either. Yeah, I know. It's, I don't know how you do it. Um, let's finish out the show with what we're talking about next week. Uh, so we should say next week's a little bleak. Uh, the only wide release coming out, and uh, this is the end of November, is a movie called The Possession of Hannah Grace, Sony movie. Uh, not much interest for me on this one. Th this one stars Shay Mitchell. She's from Pretty Little Liars. Uh, it's kind of like a horror thriller. It looks very by the numbers. Do you have any interest in this one, Will? I, I don't. Can't say I do. Yeah. Yeah, it just sort of looks not very interesting. Now, there are a lot of limited releases that are coming out that I think we're all pretty excited about. I, I really want to see Anna and the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. uh, I really want to see, yeah, yeah. The Favorite, uh, I am going to be seeing that. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to be seeing Roma next week. So oh, yeah. I, I hope we can talk about them soon. But the problem is that these are all limited releases. Uh, Mowgli is also going to be hitting some screens. But again, they're not going to, you know, Mowgli and Roma are Netflix films, but they're not going to be streaming uh -huh. until like mid-December, like you know, like Roma's mid-December and then Mowgli is like the first, actually like the end of the first week of December. So there may not be a film that all of us can watch for next week. So we're thinking of doing our winter movie preview 
next week where you know the deal we're going to do kind of a breakdown of all of the films we're excited to watch uh between december and the end of february we did it last year so we're thinking of either doing that which will you're into it maverick sure yeah yeah i'm signing up (laughs) <laughs> don't sound too enthusiastic <laughs> uh, but then we could also do like an Oscar season overview or something we could do something different as well if the listeners demand it we could kind of go through okay here are the films that we think could be best picture or whatever I don't know if that's it feels a little early for something like that yeah um, but uh, no I think I think that we could do like kind of a, spe- a very special episode of Cinemaholics but uh, listeners um, and uh, patrons actually, help us out with this one I got an idea yeah uh, since we didn't talk about Creed 2 this week, what if we did that next week? We could talk about Creed 2. Um, if there's interest, of it's course. Getting, it's listeners. getting good reviews. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll do, like before, like a, like most times when we don't know what to do, um, we'll put out a poll on Patreon. So our patrons, you can vote. Uh, so be sure to look out for that uh, in your inbox. We'll be uh, reaching out to you with some options. Uh, help us decide what to talk about. We, ha- we definitely want to talk about a new film, but if that can't happen, this is kind of what we might be able to do instead. So, but with that, uh, I guess that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Um, kind of a kind of kind of a negative episode on the whole, but uh, definitely definitely got a chance to talk about some films that you might be interested in. Uh, if you like our show, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you love us. Uh, you can hang out with us anytime on our social media pages, links to our Facebook, Twitter. That's all in the show notes below. Also, if you want to become a patron, everything like that's in our show notes. Uh, just look us up, Cinemaholics on Patreon. And you can email us anytime, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. You have questions or anything like that. And uh, I guess that'll do it for us this week. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. From the broadband basement, I'm Ever Kinds. See you next time. <laughs>